Hello and welcome to the Yoga with Molly Off the Mat podcast. I'm your host Molly and in this podcast we talk all things yoga and life off of the mat. Let's get started. Hi friends, welcome to another whispering episode of Off the Mat by Yoga with Molly. Because um, as with most episodes, if not all episodes this season, there is a sleeping baby in my arms. <laughs> my baby, if you're uh, tuning in for the first time um, this season. In season two, I kind of chronicled um, my pregnancy and yoga. And season three is postpartum life. Um, not that there's an end date on postpartum life. Um Although that is something I will talk about a little bit today as I am now at the end of what is known as the fourth trimester, um, kind of the 12 weeks after delivery. So I'm kind of going to do an episode of looking back and reflecting a little bit, thinking about the relationship to body self-care yoga during this time um, specifically. Not that my life will change dramatically tomorrow, but it is just a moment in time. I kind of felt the same way when I went for all of my six-week postnatal checkups as well. Um, but where am I generally? Where am I generally? I'm, I'm reflecting on this live, I guess, in terms of what has been going on. I'll say this. Life has been getting a little bit better all the time. You know, I feel like there were so many things when we first brought our son home that felt like they would forever be unmanageable. Um, just how do you juggle things? How do you, you know, and, and also just adjusting, I guess in a similar way to, um, <laughs> I don't mean to draw comparisons between these two very different things, but, um, when we first went into lockdown in the pandemic, um, we certainly did here in the UK. I know that kind of how, you know, the reaction to the pandemic was so different across different parts of the world. But, you know, you it's this big shock to the system. You're used to being out and about all the time and all of a sudden you're stuck indoors constantly. And then when it was time to go back to work, everyone's like, nah, <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> so, I mean, sweeping generalization. I know um, for some people being able to get out of the house was a, was a lifeline. Um, but it's, it was a little bit like that with postpartum life as well. It's, it's a big shock to the system in terms of there are new restrictions placed on you or new demands placed on you. And that period of adjustment can be rough. There's things now where I feel really relaxed about it. I've learned to embrace things like being nap trapped. <laughs> that, for those of you who don't know, is when your child falls asleep on you and you feel trapped, <laughs> like you can't move. And I think when you're new to the game, it's just, it's awful because usually you're just not prepared for it. You haven't thought ahead that you might be nap trapped and you might need the bathroom or feel thirsty or want a snack and that kind of stuff. Um, I now always make sure that I have gone to the bathroom before I feed my baby and I have hydration stations and snack stations set up all around the apartment. <laughs> if there is a place that I would feed my baby, there are snacks and a bottle of water 
that are always full nearby. That is just now part of my evening routine or morning routine to make sure that those are stocked, particularly the hydration stations, you know. So I have uh, reusable bottles of water in every corner of my house, which wasn't something I needed before. I had one bottle of water that I would carry around with me. Um, But when you're carrying a baby everywhere, I mean, you just can't be carrying stuff around. So um, yeah, life has gotten easier because I've kind of gotten creative with some of the hacks that I can apply in the home. Me and my husband are partnering together better every day. Um, And that was a learning curve for us. You know, we were good partners before we had a child, but there were definitely things that we needed to work on individually so that we could be better together, (laughs) you know, um, uh, at the whole uh, raising a baby thing. Um, So, yeah, life has gotten better every day. And I would say this week has been no exception. I really enjoyed getting out and meeting a friend of mine for breakfast. We welcomed more people into our home who were meeting our son um, for the first time. Um, On the downside, I guess, and I won't get into a lot of graphic details here, I noticed something um, in and around my C-section scar. Um, I couldn't tell, and it's, when I say something, I mean, tiny, you know, half a centimeter, (laughs) um, across the scar that, um, just looked a little aggravated, I guess is the best way to describe it. Um, which if you've had any kind of surgery to see the surgical site, I guess, regress a little bit, even if it's just a tiny fraction of it is always a little bit cause for concern. So, um, I had plans to, uh, you know, get a little bit more active this weekend. And if you've listened to the podcast, you'll know I am incredibly excited to work my way up to going running and swimming and more yoga and all of these various different things. Some of them I've already been doing, like going for a swim. Others, like going for a run, I haven't attempted yet. I've been waiting for that kind of 12-week mark and another visit with my physio um, just to see where we are with that. But, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm just taking it very easy and just staying in close contact with my healthcare providers just to keep an eye on, uh, on that. But what was interesting for me about that is, um, I'd been told, you know, from before I I had, um, before the delivery of my son, before the cesarean section, how important it was to take, to take, uh, take it easy for at least six weeks, if not 12 weeks, and I've had such a straightforward recovery. Um, everything recovered so quickly. I was pain-free pretty quick. Um, I felt, you know, well and healthy to be out and about going for long walks. Um, definitely, you know, picking up my baby and that kind of stuff by, um, uh, and when I say by two weeks, I mean all of the above, not just picking up my baby, (laughs) um, by about two weeks postpartum, I was feeling really, really well. Um, and I was going back to the gym just for incline walking to be really clear, nothing else, um, at four weeks postpartum. And even then I really had to kind of, it it required discipline of myself not to go and do more things because I felt energetic and excited and, um, I, I wanted to go do everything. So, um, you know, close to three months postpartum to, to see that something is aggravated there. And, um, 
yeah, I, you know, it was a little bit of a reality check for me that, wow, okay, I, I felt like I had healed so incredibly quickly, but actually, uh, you know, my body is still going through that process. Um, and I need to have patience and I need to have grace with it because I, the last thing that I want to do is, yeah, aggravate something that could, could set me back much further. Um, and, yeah, so yeah, at the moment, all good and everything is chill and um, myself and my healthcare provider is not worried about it, but um, it's a good opportunity for me to practice a little bit of mindfulness and potentially this is something that will challenge me if we do reach a decision over the next few days, depending on how things go, that maybe I do need to take it easier for a little bit longer. Um, we shall see. Anyway, um, those are personal updates uh let's let's get into the um yeah the self-care in the fourth trimester and I'll talk a little bit about my relationship to yoga during this time as well something that I will gladly admit to um is that I have just a host of guilty pleasures, um, <laughs> as do we all. And I think um, those are healthy and I celebrate mine. Um, one of them that I have, I love, love, love watching YouTube vlogs. Um, they are just one of my favorite things to do when I have a day off or if I'm um, chilling at home at, at the weekend, um, especially if I can kind of cast them from my phone onto the big screen on my TV. Um, I, I, I love them. I get really inspired hearing about other people's, um, productivity hacks, recipes they've tried, um, you know, shops they've been to, you know, seeing what, how people are decorating and cleaning their homes. Um, I love all of that. I love that kind of, um, content. And something that really struck me is there was just a ton of it for pregnancy, you know, um, and it really played up to this kind of pampered pregnancy ideal. Skincare routines, nighttime routines, goddess smoothies, yoga routines, you know, like really like zen, pampered, just luxurious content. Now, um, I watched a lot of that before I got pregnant. It made me feel inspired to have this amazing pregnancy. I have stumbled across some of it again after pregnancy. Um, I didn't watch any of it during pregnancy, nor did I partake in any during pregnancy because I felt like trash for 10 months. <laughs> I felt like trash, trash set on fire. That was not my experience of pregnancy, but I really enjoyed the videos before I got pregnant. <laughs> they, they made me feel inspired and excited to go on the journey. So um, if I ever decide to take that step again, I'm sure I'll rewatch it with the same optimism as I did the last time, only to feel like a trash bag that's been set on fire once again. Um, not to put anyone out there off if that's something that you plan to do. Every pregnancy is different, but, you know, that was mine. <laughs> anyway, but I um, didn't find the same content for postnatal life. It is a completely different swamp of videos out there. It is either 
10 things that you need postnatally, almost like a survival guide, as if you're, <laughs> as if you're going to war, right? Like you are not going to survive the postnatal period without your peri bottle, without your snack station, without this, without that, um, you know. And the other thing is, I, I wonder if there's just not that many videos because who has time? Who has time? Oh my goodness. Um, it's incredible that people are able to put um, out their birth stories and their birth vlogs because presumably you are editing these when you have a newborn at home and I don't know, I don't know how that happens. I don't know how someone, how someone does that. Um, yeah, so anyway, it is just, it's a completely different um, kettle of fish, isn't it? And the thing is, um, you know, quite frankly, you know, there's a part of me that goes, oh, why, why does it have to be like that postnatally when it's so luxurious, you know, um, prenatally? Because it, because it does, because it does, you know, like self-care does just become very different when you step into parenthood. And that is the first hurdle that I faced, which was acceptance, you know, acceptance. And I remember before I had my son, people would talk to me about themes of acceptance, control, flexibility, and also um, someone once framed it to me as kind of keeping your options open because things are so crazy um, when you have have a family and in the sense that so many things all of a sudden are out of your control and the stakes are so much higher that it is really important to keep your options open and and that could mean um uh what's the word i'm looking for essentially widening your social circle right in case you need support with something whether it's someone to give you a ride or someone to help with babysitting or groceries or a shoulder to cry on um professionally i guess you know if you were to lose your job um, you know, you can't just pick up and go traveling for six months as easily as you would have been able to before you had a family. So making sure that that professional network is really strong and that you would have people to reach out to and kind of hit up for opportunities if, um, you, you know, were stuck between a rock and a hard place. Um, it's timely time to talk about that because it's it's a tough job market for so many sectors at the moment but you know that's kind of how it was how it was positioned to me is making sure that you have kept your options open you know that you're building several nest eggs where you're saving that you're you know just lots of things like that um anyway <laughs> anyway i totally um digress i i found that very helpful advice and certainly I continue to think about that more and more because all the, the descriptions I just gave are pretty long term. You don't just widen your social circle, your professional network, your um, investments, your savings overnight. It's more, I guess, a frame of mind and something that you build up and build towards over many, many years. So that was the first thing. I had to really kind of shift my attitude and shift my perspective Um and it also meant that I had to shift my approach to self-care. And the biggest thing for me, I would say, during this period that got me through, that allowed me to experience, you know, a version of self-care 
was, um, it, you know, it's what they say to you when you get on the aeroplane, you have to put your oxygen mask on first. And that was, that was a really hard shift for me. <laughs> so I'll give you an example and um, sorry to overshare, but I'm going to talk about the bathroom. Um, if my son has uh, uh, done a poo <laughs> in his nappy um, and I also need to pee at the same time if I need to go to the bathroom. When he was first born, he was first for everything. It was, I'll change his nappy, then I'll go to the bathroom. I'll get his bottle, then I'll go to the bathroom. But the truth is, a baby always needs something. <laughs> because after you've changed them, you have to hold them because they don't want to be put down. And after that, they need to be fed. And after that, they want to play. And after that, and after that, and after that. And it never ends. And I found myself in this constant state of stress because I was like, oh my God, I constantly need the bathroom or I'm a bit dehydrated. or And the thing is, the things that I needed were really quick. You know, um, I've never actually timed myself even now um, how long it takes me to go pee <laughs> or to um, chug a glass of water or to eat a banana. Um, but, you know, the reality is these are 30 second jobs. Um, I don't want to talk about self-care as if it's a job. And they're also just really baseline, um, you know, um, eating, taking a multivitamin, you know, staying hydrated, that kind of thing. Um, self-care for me used to be something where I would think, okay, um, you know, I'm going to spend 20 minutes to do a skincare routine or I'm going to spend 20 minutes, um, you know, doing some, some yoga or, you know, reading a book or this or that. And, and actually, um, what it turned into during this postnatal period um, that is particularly intense, right? You, I already can feel now my baby doesn't need me on a constant basis the way that he used to. He's really happy now that he is starting to explore the world to kind of sit in his uh, little um, bouncer chair and and also observe, you know, and, and is interested just to watch me do things like wash the dishes, you know, as long as I'm singing to him while I do it. <laughs> but, um, you know, so, th so things do change and they do evolve. But the thing that I had to get used to saying was, you have to put on your own oxygen mask first. So in the example that I gave, if he's just gone in his nappy, I would say, okay, I'm going to quickly go to the bathroom, come right back and change him, right? He's in a safe place. He's in his cot. Um, I can see him <laughs> from, from, the, from the bathroom that's attached to the bedroom. Actually, I'm going to quickly go to the bathroom and then I'm going to come back. And that might sound really simple and obvious, but as a new parent, um, I, I wasn't able to do that at first. I would, you know, as soon as he was hungry, as soon as he needed a nappy change, anything like that, I would rush into it. You know, I, I, I wasn't able to just stand still for a moment to tolerate a little bit of fussiness. And I'm not talking full blown crying, just a little bit of, eh, 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 eh. You know, <laughs> that's my impression of a fussy baby. Um, I wasn't able to tolerate that. It would cause me to feel really anxious and panicked. And I, I wanted um, I wanted a baby to be happy and um, cuddled up and or smiling to me all the time. And yeah, it really took a shift for me to say, actually, no, you know, I need to tend to myself first, um, especially when it's these little things. Um, and also, I have to have faith that eventually 
they'll go to sleep. Um, eventually they'll go to sleep and sometimes it will be on me and I'm learning to embrace the cuddles and the snuggles and let go of my to-do list. And other times he'll fall asleep on my uh, on my partner, on my husband or in his bed. And as soon as he does that, that's my window to do one of my 20-minute uh, action items. Um, and usually for me, that list became pretty narrow. <laughs> it was either I'm having something to eat. Um, occasionally, it was I'm going to move my body. Um, but to be honest, I felt pretty physically exhausted from, you know, walking around with him all day and, oh, excuse me, uh, walking around, bouncing him on my arm, um, getting up and down off of the floor to change his nappy. I was astonished actually when I was wearing my, I'm wearing kind of like a smartwatch um, to track my daily steps and activity that just walking around my apartment most days I was racking seven to 8,000 steps. I was flabbergasted by that because I remember during the first lockdown when I was stuck indoors all the time, you know, there were some days I would struggle to get to 2,000 steps. Um, and I wasn't trying to just kind of sit around and be sedentary. Um, but all of a sudden with a newborn, where I was also taking advice to take it easy because of my C-section, that I was, <laughs> I was managing seven to 8,000 steps a day because I was constantly going, you know, to the fridge, going to the dishwasher, going to sterilize, going to the nursery, going to change a nappy, coming back in here, handing off with my husband, rocking him, bouncing him, walking him down the hallway, you know, so I, I was actually a lot more active than I realized. And I didn't have a particular craving for, um, long yoga practices. What I did need was, um, my own yoga teacher actually would, would call something like this a little movement snack, right? So, um, kind of, uh, just a, f a few minutes. And in, in my case, it would be, I would be kind of correcting areas where I was experiencing some tension or even sometimes some pain. Um, typically in the early days that for me was in my thoracic spine. So my upper back, um, was, was struggling, um, adjusting to the weight of the baby and also the weight of my chest as I was nursing as well. Um, so there's two big adjustments that are happening that are putting load through your arms, your shoulders, your neck, your upper back and spine. Um, so anything that I was doing, um, was just a little bit of, spinal decompression. And again, it, that would be a, a, a two minute job. And typically, I mean, if that a 30 second job, it would be, you know, I'd be saying to my husband, I need a break from carrying him. I'm going to do a little bit of stretching and I'm happy to take him again in a minute or so from now. Um, you know, put your oxygen mask on first. Um, and, you know, I'll say this, as I got more comfortable with it and more in the habits of it, um, and, 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 you know, things did get easier. Um, he reached a point where he has become fascinated with watching other people's mouths move. He finds it really interesting and exciting. And what's wonderful about that is he loves watching people eat. <laughs> so it means that I can sit down in front of him in his little chair at lunchtime and eat my lunch and he's entertained by it. Oh my goodness, it's heaven. I can eat a meal 
and my baby's happy. Wasn't like that in the first couple of weeks. I can promise you that. Um, any new mom will tell you almost like clockwork. As soon as you sit down with some food, that's when baby will start crying <laughs> and they'll need feeding themselves. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, all of those little 30 seconds here, 60 seconds there meant that by the end of the day, I was less stressed. I was better hydrated. I had eaten properly. Um, I still felt really depleted. Uh, I would say to my husband, usually at 3, 4 p.m. each day, particularly when he had gone back to work and it was just me and my son at home for most of the day, we'd make it out for a little walk um, most days or every other day if we were particularly tired and or the weather was awful. Um, I would always say to him at 3, 4 p.m., I feel burnt out. Now, I would say by week six, I really did just mean like, I'm exhausted. Like, if this were an office job, this would be the last hour where I would just be clicking around, but not really doing very much. Because <laughs> I'm done. I'm spent for the day. Um, but I would say in weeks two or three, that was the point where, I mean, I was so burnt out. I was about to tell my husband, like, I beg you, you need to leave your job to stay home with me full time because I cannot do this one more day, let alone many, many days and weeks and months um, until he's old enough. Um, so things got better. Things got a lot better, but it was certainly, um, certainly a journey. Yeah, certainly a journey. But that would just be my honest kind of account of how things have gone um, fourth trimester. Uh, Self-care goes from being, a, you know, going from the spa, going to the spa for the day or even washing your face for 20 minutes to it's a 30 second job. Um, you know, these are really fast things that you are fitting in before you are on to the next thing, because uh, as, as they say, a mother's work is never done uh, or parents' work is never done, right? I know we have a um, diverse audience of listeners. Um, yeah, that's my recap for now. I cannot believe that I'm coming to the end of the fourth trimester. In, in many ways, I can. Uh, when I look back at pregnancy, it seems so short, and yet I know that each trimester felt like an eternity, and this fourth one uh, has been no exception. My third trimester feels like a million years ago, uh, a million years ago. And what, what is wild, obviously, um, not wild, but what is, um, stirring some emotions in me is, uh, when you go through a pregnancy, the question that they always ask you, uh, when calculating your due date in the first trimester is what was the first day of your last period? Um, that is how they calculate your due date at the very beginning um, before you've you've gone for scans because it's easier um, to record that with some accuracy than it is to uh, try and estimate um, when you ovulated and when the date of conception may have been. Um, so, yeah, that was a date that I would have cited, you know, hundreds of times in my pregnancy that would have been on every written report and medical document in reference to my pregnancy. Um, and I just passed the anniversary of that. So for, and, and for me, that is very much, you know, when the pregnancy journey began for me. 
uh, a year ago. Not that I knew it that day. <laughs> Not that I knew um, how important that day or, you know, how memorable that day would become or how often I would talk about it. Um, but yeah, passing that date and, and obviously now with that coming to the end of the fourth fourth trimester as well, I just, um, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling... I am really feeling all the feels, you know, it's, it's wild. And I'm, I'm just, I'm so excited for the rest of this year. It's already been such a joy, um, to watch my son grow and bond with him and get to know him better. And for the relationship with my husband to evolve and the relationship with myself and our home to evolve. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a special time. Um, although, you know, I'm always open that it has, special yes easy no <laughs> um but anyway some some trite something about you know the things that are most important in life you know generally don't come easy um you can fill in the blanks on that but yeah Just a short episode today. Um, I thought I would give a little bit of insight into my kind of ongoing learning, development, um, interest in the uh, yogic field. So um, one thing that I have been getting curious um, about just to, uh, and again, anything that I share on the podcast, I hope to be clear the areas where I am curious and exploring versus areas where I am an advocate for them because there's a lot of things that I explore in the yogic world that honestly afterwards I'll put to one side and would not be an advocate for (laughs) so and I don't know where I stand on on what I'm about to share next so um I, uh, you know, went through my foundational yoga teacher training. I've done a pregnancy and postnatal yoga teacher training, um, some advanced training on yoga nidra specifically, which I've talked about a little bit. Um, there is so much for me still to explore. One thing that I am not a particularly strong scholar of are the differences in teaching and approaches from different schools of yoga. I know what my style of yoga is and generally I think I embrace I embrace um taking the pieces of yoga that resonate with me <laughs> and folding them into my practice and into my teaching as opposed to aligning myself with one specific school of yoga which is why generally speaking when I'm asked what style of yoga do you practice and teach um, I wouldn't align myself with one specifically. There's pros and cons to that. I think I teach from a more authentic and embodied place, isn't it? You know, it truly is from my heart to yours. Um, but on the flip, uh, from a from purely a marketing point of view, it is potentially more difficult to market your classes and your offerings as a teacher because people don't know what to expect <laughs> do you know and they 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 either need to have been referred or to know you personally or to have stumbled across you in in some other way and to continue to to come um and enjoy your 
classes, whereas other people, you know, might proactively be looking up kundalini yoga or, you know, other styles of, of yoga um, and come across you that way. So um, that, that's if you're a yoga teacher listening, that's something to consider and to think about, I guess, from a marketing perspective. Um, for me, um, hasn't been a an important factor or driving force. Um, I'd rather explore, fold in what makes sense, um, what resonates, uh, what feels authentic to me, and then offer that out to uh, students, either in my conversations, in my one-to-ones, or if I'm teaching um, classes as well. Um, so the area that I wanted to dive into and explore a little bit more is karma yoga. Karma spelled C-A-R-M-A as opposed to calmer. Um, karma yoga. And I'll, I'll be honest, at this stage, um, I couldn't really tell you much more than that other than um, it is a... Um, it's derived from or it's it's discussed in oh and I'm gonna say the name wrong now and I don't have it written in front of me the Bhagavad Gita Bhagavad <laughs> uh, this is why I need notes it's um sacred Hindu text and spiritual teachings and it's talks about amongst um, karma yoga, also bhakti yoga and various other things. And karma yoga specifically is taking the right action. I think that's the definition of it. And it's concerned with prayer, um, prayer and, and taking right action full stop. And I, I think it's subject to interpretation what that means. Um, that's as much as I know. I haven't done a very good job at teaching you, as you can tell. <laughs> but I do just want to be open and honest with, you know, where where my curiosity is taking me, what I'm currently studying, where my interest lies, and how that might influence, you know, anything that I would be offering in the, in the future. Um, if you are interested in my process, quote unquote. That makes it sound like I think I'm a big deal worth studying. It really doesn't. I think sometimes the world of yoga teaching can feel a little bit insular because you go to class and you meet a teacher and it's not really clear how teachers in the yogic world connect to each other as a community to discuss how they're learning, what their process looks like, how they're building classes, you know, you don't have study groups <laughs> in the same way um, that you might with other things. You know, if I think, you know, to, in, in, to how I developed in other professions and, and other things that I um, developed skills in, you know, marketable skills in. Um, so I, I wanted to share a little bit of of that. Generally speaking, um, let's take a step back. And, and what I'm about to say next is, is separate to karma yoga, because I, I don't know what I will learn um, other than um, I do intend to buy that book, um, learn how to pronounce it properly, <laughs> study it. I'll learn more about uh, yogic schools of thought or yogic teaching or teachings that influence yoga um, beyond karma by by reading that. But that that's the one that, that led me there. Um, all of that aside, uh, I want to talk a little bit about prayer because I have become 
fascinated with prayer over the course of the past couple of years. Um, I am, depending on the day, I would describe myself as an atheist or someone who is agnostic. Maybe I've described myself as both over the course of this podcast, if I've ever discussed it before. Um, I would barely even describe myself as quote-unquote spiritual. Um, I, I am a, a huge advocate of, of science and psychology. And um, as much as I, I really enjoy the what for me is fantasy of spirituality... Um, th- that is what it is. It's fantasy. It's playtime. You know, for me, it's make believe when we, when we talk about, you know, destiny and fate and, you know, there was just something spooky in the air or something like that, you know, um, or, or psychics and that kind of stuff. I find it fun. I find it really fun. <laughs> so, um, I'll be the first one if we were to go to the carnival and I could sign up to go chat to a psychic, a hundred percent I'm there, um, have done it before, will do it again, absolutely, um, but, you know, do I believe that there's, that there's more to it than that? No, you know, for me, it's fun, um, and, and that's kind of where, where I draw the line on these things. That having been said, and, um, that is not to offend (laughs) anyone, um, but the truth is none of us believe in everything, and the only thing that I would ask you, maybe in in response to that, is well, what are your views on the on the the beliefs that you don't believe in, you know, other than kind of like a respectful distance of them, um, or finding them interesting, or even finding them beautiful. Um, so anyway, um, all of that having been having been said, prayer, I am fascinated by because I see the comfort and the the power that prayer has in the lives of people who practice prayer. Hugely powerful um, in giving direction, giving clarity, giving comfort. It's a relationship, it's vulnerability, it, it's a practice. It's a practice in the same way yoga is. There's honesty in prayer, or at least there can be. You know, I haven't sat in on everyone else's prayers. But I I, I'm, I find it fascinating. And for that reason, I'm interested in exploring its history, its structure, its effect on human beings and trying to understand what from that can I take into my own practice that feels authentic and right to me. Um, And yeah, that's as far as I've got. So yeah, all of that, I mean, that's just kind of like a mixing pot of random stuff there. (laughs) But I'm interested in learning more about karma yoga, interested in learning more about Hinduism, have a plan to begin to dip my toe and explore both so that I can ask better questions um, and pursue that learning better. Um, and my goal, as always, is to just understand what resonates, what doesn't. Are there things that I want to carry into my own practice? What can I learn? And from all of that, what could I offer 
to other people. And if it's not something I offer, how can I understand others better, you know, whether I choose to practice in similar ways or not? Um, it's all it's all a point of of connection. Um, yeah, I hope that's interesting. <laughs> Share with me as always your thoughts. And if you're an expert in any of these areas, I'd, uh, I'd, um, you know, love to chew the fat on it. All right, yogi friends, that is all that we have time for this week. Um, I will be recording another episode next week where my intention is to talk a little bit, um, a bit more about community. I talked about it in the context today of community with yoga teachers. One thing that I haven't talked really about in much depth yet is the community that I have found with other um, expectant parents to be um, and now parents in my own uh, local community and online community as well and the effect that's had and what that's meant to me and how powerful um, that has been and I'll do my best to, to kind of reflect and tie it back to my world of yoga as well um, and, and what that's looked like um, but for now um, if you're listening to this shortly after recording I hope you have wonderful rest of your weekend or indeed um, week ahead and I'll check in with you next time. Bye.